The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. You know how, like, sometimes you get, like, a sort of a Moorish craving? Yeah. And sometimes it's for sort of, like, delicious palm oil-free dairy milk chocolate and you just sort of want to nibble and you want to tell everybody how good it was. And mm. sometimes you just have a sense inside. You're like, oh, something missing. Something could really top off this night. And it's like, maybe I need to destroy the career of a Greens co-leader again. Mm. <laughs> you know, it gets Moorish. You, want, <laughs> you can't stop Tasty. with one. Yeah. <laughs> like, Tēnā koutou katoa, this has gone by lunchtime, an audio cast on the spin-off with Ben Thomas and Annabelle Lee Mather. Kia ora kora. Kia ora. And the award-winning Toby Manhire. Yeah, that's correct. Oh yeah, congratulations Toby. You won an award too, didn't you? Mahi won an award. Mahi won. Lots of awards. Ti here is also here. Morena folks. Kia ora. It's a sunny day. We've been talking about chocolate. Winter's almost over. Last day. Yeah, the winter of discontent almost over, mm. headed for a spring of discontent. <laughs> uh, today we're going to talk uh, a little about Trevor Mallard saying slam to him and kia ora to Adrian Rudafer. Uh The new Tamaki political vehicle, we'll touch on that. We will have a full reading, <clears throat> a full reading from Tiahe Butler of the latest uh, War and Peace length Facebook entry from Godav Sharma. <laughs> So with with Taihe's velvet tones, that's mm. just like that's like an ASMR hypnotic loop. Mm. I don't think <laughs> that the government could come back from that. We could just could j- just chuck some binaural beats behind it, mm. and the entire listenership is just out there. Are you okay with that? Or uh, would, you, would you consider that workplace bullying? It's only four thousand seven hundred words. It won't take long. I'm not sure the spin-off is ready for that much internet traffic. True. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah that's indeed. Point. Before we get into that, let's talk a bit about the kind of later stuff that is in the headlines, which is cost of living payments, second edition. <laughs> and this story, there was cost of living, the cost of living payment we talked about on the podcast, the squeezed middle, the budget, big headline announcement. It was meant to be the thing that, if not a game changer, it was meant to be a, a, a tone shifter, a circuit breaker. And it's ended up just kind of adding to the government's woes. We had on Monday, I think it was, the Auditor-General. The Auditor-General put out a letter uh, criticising the way that it had been rolled out, saying it was haste was put ahead of getting it right. Uh, He said that good stewardship of public money requires greater care. 
And now, Annabelle, we have the National Party calling for an apology, which seems to be like the latest version of the cudgel. The cudgel before was call the cost of living a crisis. And we've got that. Now, call the cost of living payments something you have to apologise for, you know. And it's sort of just kind of blown back in the face of the Ardern government. Mm. It is interesting, though, how politicians don't like to apologise, eh? Mm. Um, For a guy who likes to communicate in highly detailed policy, wonky-type corridor, David Parker seems to be at the centre of a lot of balls-ups, right? Yeah, this... (laughs) And, and, you know, look, Parker is at the centre of this because it was decided that it would be done through Inland Revenue, and he's Minister of Revenue. If it had been done through MSD, like the wage subsidy, then I assume, you know, Carmel Cipollone would be on the hook or, or Robertson. So, and, and Inland Revenue, of course, did warn <laughs> against mm. <laughs> them being put in charge of it in the initial um, regulatory impact statement. They said their system... Not us, please. Yeah, they, they said, was like, you know, the, we're in charge of collecting taxes. Like, that's what we do. We don't, we don't know how to figure out if somebody yeah. is, you know... And as Parker has acknowledged, they wouldn't have been handed it had it not been for the overhaul of the IT systems, which meant that they could break it down a bit more. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. So Inland Revenue just is off the back of this huge IT um, change, which is actually made it much, much uh, more user-friendly for its sort of mm. core purpose of paying taxes. Um, and, and Inland Revenue is actually an example of a government department that's really turned itself around in terms of sort of public trust and confidence, which is part of probably why they didn't want to get near this. Um, and, you know, David Parker basically fell back on this Donald Rumsfeld, you know, there's, un, you know, unknown uh, unknowns. We don't know what we don't know. And... Uh, or, yeah, that, that's the unknown unknown, isn't it? You the known unknowns? Know. Are they unknown unknowns or no. the unknown unknowns? You don't, don't know what you don't know. I don't know. That's the unknown unknowns. Is it? I yeah. And so, <laughs> poor old David Parker. But, it, 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 you know, what, one thing that I felt was interesting was the, the Prime Minister in defending sort of the uh, legitimacy or the, the, of the scheme said that 31,000 people had now opted out of the first payment and wouldn't be getting the second, you know, from the first payment and wouldn't be getting the second payment. Because they were either in the Himalayas or dead. Yeah, yeah. well, no, the these, are, these are people who have opted out. Right? Oh, opted so, out even though they're eligible. Yeah, so this is, thir- and, she, and she said they may they may even be eligible, but they considered that they weren't eligible. Ah, yes. <laughs> you know, so I mean, who can, who can really look into the tax status of men and, and come up with the truth? But, you know, that's actually, that's pretty, big engagement. You know, if you had 31,000 people engaging with a government public relations campaign, you'd say that was probably a pretty big win. Um, and to have that many people actually contact Inland Revenue over this policy and, you know, check the box or say, I, you know, I don't want it, um, I would say that's a lot more people than sort of visit the IRD website every day. Um, and, and that suggests that, you know, what might otherwise be, you know, a bit of a you might think of a bit of a foobar, sort of, you know, mm. it's just a bit of a mess-up administrative mm. error. This has gotten big cut-through. Well, not just that, Annabelle, it's, it's gone to, I mean, not as many as they hoped in the first round, but I think it's up to 1.4 million or something people who are receiving this payment in $350 chunks, which is not trivial for a lot of people. And the second time round, they've introduced these new mechanisms whereby if IRD has any suspicion that some of, that you may not be, <clears throat> you know, here, you have to tick a box saying, 
you're in New Zealand for tax purposes and tick a box mm. saying you haven't recently written any 4,700-word Facebook posts about the um, behaviour of parliamentary services. And if you do that, you get your money. And maybe, I mean, Parker's line as well is that he reckons it will end up being about 1% that uh, they overpay to. So 1% error which is pretty small fry in the in the grand scheme. It's not quite a lot of money, but in the in the scheme of things, you would say, well, that's not a bad, that's not a bad error rate. Are we in danger of overstating this as some kind of snafu? Whereas people who are to whom it makes a difference in the face of very expensive cheese uh, will feel differently. Well, I totally get why it needed to be, you know, incredibly accessible. Um, because we know that for vulnerable um, families or families without a lot of resource, applying for something like this becomes incredibly difficult mm. and usually the people who need it most don't access, don't get to access it. Yeah. But equally, I don't see why ticking a box to say whether or not you live in New Zealand would have been particularly difficult to apply <laughs> in the first instance. Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, I'm more worried about the people that aren't getting this payment and I know, and it Totally, anecdata-wise, that there are people who are absolutely eligible who haven't received um, the payment, uh. and and getting the payment is difficult. I am not worried about. I, I, I don't. I think it's a good thing that the that the government is being questioned and challenged about it. You know, if you look at the way beneficiaries are treated if they're overpaid. Um, the punitive approach the system takes to people who um, misuse, um, you know, public money in terms of, you know, beneficiaries who might overclaim for something or might go overseas for, a, you know, for a week and get overpaid or whatever. You know, there's an incredibly punitive approach. So I, I don't, I, I think that you know we uh, that the government needs to. Um, be held to the same levels of account that ordinary solo mums and stuff get. Disability beneficiaries are held to when it comes to the use of public money. The broader question then around, I guess, where the government is at a year out with a range of different policy and legislative programmes I'm thinking the most recent one that has come up in the in the last sort of twelve hours around the the uh, GST on on KiwiSaver mm. service fees. David Parker again was quite impressive, I thought, on the radio this morning, explaining that really it was closing a loophole, and that there were some people mm. who were getting getting you know that it should be should 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 be subject to GST. Whereas the way it came out was it wasn't press released as far as I'm aware. I didn't get a press release anyway. And it was sort of identified and then it was ballooned into the multi-billion by 2070 number. And it just, I mean, you add to that a bunch of different things, whether it's three waters, shortfalls in the health workforce, block pipes and immigration, even concerns around crime, the Oranga Tamariki bill and the perceptions that by almost everyone except the government that the Children's Commissioner is being muzzled. All of these things, I don't know, we sort of look at the size of the kind of communications industrial complex in the government and then you just think, how is it that they're always... It, it seems to be playing into the hands of an opposition in terms of looking like this is being done on the hoof. Yeah, and I, I mean, this is the thing with the inland revenue kind of stuff. 
they do do these sort of very technical proposals where they'll you know release a bunch of proposed changes for consultation that will then go out and go through this very rigorous sort of process with a lot of pointy-headed nerds <laughs> sitting down and, and offering input before you'll get to the sort of press release stage. But if you are floating something, and particularly, I, I think I, Thomas Coughlin is an extremely good journalist uh, with the New Zealand Herald, uh, does a good podcast called On the Tiles, uh, New Zealand, probably New Zealand's second best political podcast, maybe? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Um, maybe. At, at best, second. Real pod's good. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Um, and... The, <clears throat> But but I think it was a little bit mischievous mischievous running with the you know hundred and three billion dollar tax uh, in the sense that that's the total amount of the tax projected out to twenty seven. <laughs> yeah. Now <laughs> I mean you know I mean we're, in budgets we tend to think of increased spending in sort of four yearly lumps, and so governments say oh we've put two hundred million dollars into this and it's actually fifty million dollars over four years, mm. but of course they could extend it out to twenty seventy, and so we've put sort of thirty billion dollars into this. Mm. Um, so I you know I, I think that was a, a, a little mischievous there, but yeah you're right and and. Also, it is a bit of a it's, – it's mixed messages, but it's also bad timing. And a cost-of-living crisis means that you have bad timing pretty much all of the time because anything that you want to do which increases costs on people, particularly people who are saving for their retirement, their Kiwi saver is going down, right, mm. because of high interest mm. rates as a result of um, high inflation – when you've got high interest rates, uh, which we've got all around the world because of high inflation all around the world, um, assets dive, your KiwiSaver goes down, but you're still being charged fees, and now you're going to get GST whacked on those fees or, f- or the full GST whacked on those fees. And so it feels like you know, you're really battling to get ahead with your savings. Now, put aside that it won't come until 2026, when you know, ideally the world economy will be on the up if we're not sort of all underwater. But you know, boat sales might be through the roof and sustaining the economy. But... But, you know, just this perception, the same as the the workplace insurance scheme, uh, you know, introduced post sort of COVID, uh, which, you know, should be up and running reasonably soon. Uh, You know, it's just this perception that sort of, you know, there's plucking the goose, which is this metaphor about taxation, where you basically want to pluck the goose, you know, until it's bare. (laughs) You know, you sort of, you pluck the goose without it noticing. And you, and, and you know, the converse of that is death by a thousand cuts. So, you know, the goose. Uh, e- either way. Is the I'm, goose just compa- dead or? I'm just comparing two sayings. I'm not saying the goose is being cut. I'm not the saying goose isn't involved. You're in not that. slashing the goose. You're right. not like a, just you're plucking. Not some, you're not some kind of closet sadist. Okay. Just sort of, Who is the goose? No, it's a goose. Oh, just it's a not goose. The, it's not the Gold, goose. Golden just goose? Any goose. Yeah. It's any goose. Just it's a, a broadly, a broadly applicable principle. Goose. Yeah. Any goose you like. Yeah. Probably duck as well. Mm. You know the. Can I say oh, I feel like you move on David Parker is just emanating this vibe at the moment, like he doesn't want Labor to be in government. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get a huge sense that he's excited about being there. He he was on he was actually on a podcast with um, Bernard Hickey. Speaking of other good podcasts, uh, talking about his whole kind of. Uh, review of the tax system and mm. the, and it's, it sounds it's, incredible. It's fa- no, it's fascinating. It's really interesting. Mm. And I think he, I think he is somebody who is super smart, um, a very reasonable person, and is kind of over 
the bullshit that you have to do to do politics. And uh, unfortunately, you do. Unfortunately, with something like this, you did need to front foot it, foot it. Unfortunately, you did need to find a way to forestall the framing of it. Yes, I know it's boring talking about framings and narratives, but what happened is Christopher Luxon came on the radio this morning and talked about the retirement tax. That's you know, right, yeah. A retirement tax by stealth. Now, I think that's disingenuous, but it's probably in the bare pit of politics, quite a good way of framing it. The issue that a lot of New Zealanders will have with it is that it's essentially a tax on a tax. Yeah. You know, KiwiSaver comes directly from your pay, which is tax, and now they're going to tax it again. This is meant to support, you know, New Zealanders at the, at the ends of their life. This is literally hard-earned cash, and yet the government won't have a capital gains tax, which is money that just accrues through no hard work at all, no saving, no nothing. So, I mean, if you really want to piss voters off, this is your surefire way to do it. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think there's something to that, right, which is that whatever you know, whatever the mechanism that you're using, Parker might call it a loophole because GST is applied for all other professional services. Why not fund management? Well, they're, and the, they're big, the big operators are getting around it is the way, the way it was explained this morning quite, yeah. quite compellingly. Yeah, uh, but, but the thing is it, it does add an extra cost which will be passed through to savers. And with KiwiSaver, you know, what's happened over time is all of these little tweaks have been made that either add or subtract, you know, small amounts each year that are coming in and out, which because of the logic, you know, the $70 billion, $100 billion in 70 years sort of logic of compounding interest and mm. things like that, means that these small tweaks have big effects over the lifetime of your savings. Mm. So the government can't just say, oh, this is just like BAU, of course. You know, it will it will affect savings, which is ultimately what you're yeah. trying to... At the margins. You, which I mean, is what you're trying to incentivise. You are trying on the service fee, to be clear, no, no, sure, not on but the saving. Sure, you know? but it's all one global amount. Right, that's in your in your account. Yeah. Right, the the fees come out of your account. They don't come out of anywhere else, and they come out of your savings and the government contribution and the employer contribution. And you know, look, there was a report released by whatever the retirement commissioner's new name is yesterday, saying that you know, in, in, uh, in about uh, twenty. 25 years, uh, 40% of retiree, 40% of over 65s will be renting as opposed to 20% mm. now mm. and about 13% 20 years ago. So, you know, that massively changes the dynamic in terms of universal super, which, you know, tr- try renting in Auckland on universal super and mm. still having any kind of like quality of life without other income. So, you know, more of the more of the burden is shifting, particularly to those people who aren't going to be able to buy houses and so yeah. they need to invest. You know, KiwiSaver will probably be their primary investment. Um, you know, and if you, if you are, you know, changing that pathway in terms of the growth, um, you know, small amounts each year, I think they said, you know, it would work out as about kind of 1%, uh, you know, 1% per year. That change, you know, that do, that does change the trajectory of the big lump sum that you get once you're 65. When you're, you know, looking forward mm. to, you know, finding a new place, maybe downsizing from four flatmates to three to have a bit of privacy um, in 2048. You know, um, so, I so I don't think the government can dug it by just saying yeah. it's a technical. Thing. And I think it's incredibly disingenuous to say that these fees are probably going to be absorbed by, you know. The, the fund managers and that, you know, in order to stay competitive, they'll probably absorb these fees so that they can attract new customers. I mean, we only have to look back at history like 
the power companies, petrol companies, everything else. Nobody absorbs additional well, the, costs. They pass it on to customers, and, use, and it will be KiwiSaver customers who, who, who end up paying for it. Well, this is, this is why people in the fi- organisations in the financial services like uh, ANZ, BNZ and Westpac are just struggling so much. Oh, yeah, so true. Yeah, because true. because yeah. ruthless competition and absorbing yeah. overheads yeah. has, cut their, has yeah. cut their profits. Profit margins, I, I yeah, think, so um, true. I think ANZ was less than a Less than two billion dollars last year. <laughs> they, I mean, yeah. you know, where, where's their cost of living payment? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I reckon. Actually, they probably got it. ANZ <laughs> Limited probably got it. <laughs> no uh, the goose is plucked. The duck is cooked, and the mallard is flying to Dublin. Oh, look at you! You're so clever. No wonder you won an award. Uh, well, ben, ben actually trailed that for me a bit earlier and I got working on it. Um, the, another, podca- another good podcast, I don't know if you know this one, Kim Hill does a podcast. Oh, yeah, KimHill.co.nz. Kim Hill does a podcast on the, on the radio on, on the Saturday, Saturday morning. Mm. And she was speaking to Trevor Mallard. Did you hear this, Bells? I didn't listen to it, but I did see it on the Saturday mornings podcast, but I didn't okay. I didn't. All right. I listened it. to it, it when you texted me. <laughs> and uh, she had Trevor Mallard on there, mm. and she asked him about his political obituaries that were issued, mm. and and she sa- he said he said yeah well some of them you know about blah 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 but then he said but I'll tell you what was tell you what tell you what it was was the ones he thought were most reasonable was David Farah and Ben Thomas in the spinoff. Oh. Oh, which was vibes. interesting. Which was interesting. Then, then Kim Hill sort of spluttered and laughed. <laughs> and said, really? <laughs> which I thought was fair, which I didn't. I didn't think was fair because I, I actually did put a lot of effort into trying to sort of uh, portray Trevor's career fairly. Look at the complexity of the man. Well, I don't think he's complex. I think he's he's sort of like those people... The different sides, maybe. Yeah, those people described in popular psychology books whose like, brains are severed in half by a railway accident. <laughs> and so they have like t- two, two, two hemispheres of their brain operating independently, <laughs> which is, you know, Trevor Mallard, the, the champion of women in parliament, you know, a, a fierce advocate for homosexual law reform in the 80s. Uh, you know, a man who wanted to, who, you know, late in his career, but even early in his career, you know, it, it's extraordinary maiden speech where he talked about, you know, what now you'd call rape culture and the mm. idea of objectifying women around parliament as a link to sexual violence and, you know, sort of prevalent attitudes. Mm. Um, and, and so he's sort of, he's had these sort of high ideals the whole way through at the same time as he's been sort of Dr. Jekylling it up and just being this absolute thug enforcer bother boy bully mm. um, you know who has you know who's really um, been merciless you know as, as a sort of political operative and political sort of assassin um, and and it is interesting you know I, I think you know people say that you know sort of um was it uh, is it uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald said that you know um, adulthood or maturity is being able to hold two separate ideas in your brain at once. The thing is, I, I don't think Mallard does. I think I think one side is completely unaware of the other side, and they and they they, they just uh, you know I, th- I think it's, Mallard actually is a, is a sort of instructive to go to Sharma, which is that you can have these sort of high principles, but then part of you know at the same time you've got to do your day job. You know, you can do these things as a hobby on the outside, you know, trying to improve the lot of parliament for women and, you know, all and, and, and you know, make it a, a more family-friendly place. But your core job is serving the party 
And if, if your job within that is kicking the shit out of the opposition, uh, you know, that's what you have to do. And that guarantees you a long career uh, as a senior minister, as a as Speaker of the House, he'll get a knighthood and a plum diplomatic posting. Annabelle? I, I think that's a pretty good analysis of him, eh? I, I, I think he's a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve and, you know, has made Parliament a lot safer place for women, for tamariki. You know, he has these high ideals and, like you say, just like the most ruthless opposition MP and, you know, fucking rip the shit out of things like Aotearoa television and, and those yeah. sorts of things. He was the Tuku's underwear guy. Yeah, he, you know, like... That he, set back uh, Māori media, like, five years, mm. right? And all, all because of an, ex, you know, what was actually, you know... A, border, a, clo- border, a clothing allowance that yeah. he was actually <laughs> legally entitled to. But, you know, like, totally ruthless on those things. And like you say, set Māori media back a long time. Equally, Mihi and I um, ran some workshops for um, iwi radio journalism over summer, and Trevor made himself available for these um, young Māori um, journalists to interview. So uh, just a really complex, interesting guy, incredibly generous on one hand, brutal on the other. But um, but I have enormous respect for um, the way he's made Parliament a, a, a a better place for women. I think a lot of the criticism of him during um, during the parliament occupation, yes, you know, his reactionary um, personality has got him at tr- in trouble over the time mm. at times. But if turning on the sprinklers and playing Barry Manilow is you know the worst thing you've you've done, then I think. I mean, it's so not even close the reaction- to the worst thing he's done. It's, <laughs> no, it doesn't even make the thing top one. True, but, but people have been up in arms about it, and I'm like, oh, my God, you guys need to go watch Merata Mita's... Um, you know, documentary on best and I mean, I don't think like I, don't, I don't think that the, the the criticisms were that it was mean so much as that it was it was it was counterproductively provocative. It, it both made a moment sort of, where the moment needed to be de-escalated. Right? Yeah, it's, it's sort else. of it both lowered the tone and raised the stakes somehow. <laughs> the um, the as far as as far as um, his departure as speaker is concerned, it does feel as though, and I don't think anyone would necessarily agree with this probably even Trevor Mallard, that it feels like the moment needs Adrian Rudolph in. His his style feels better suited to just kind of letting some of the air out of the place. Yeah. And and even just the fact of a of a of a new start. Have you did you did anyone catch him in his first week in I did I, I kinda think that's a testament to Trevor as well that yeah. you know he's like blooded up Adrian. Adrian has to be one of the most experienced um, new speakers to come in because he's had like an amazing apprenticeship where mm-hmm. he's been given mm-hmm. a long, a long reign to um, to really um, immerse himself in that role. But I mean, it's a it's a really meaningful thing too, given um, that Atana Church's long relationship um, with Labour and their history in New Zealand Parliament. He's the Mukupuna of Iriaka and you know, all of those ones. So it seems incredibly befitting. I think he'll do a wonderful job. His approach seems to be one, oh, he's the kind of, 
He's the kind of uh, principal or whatever it is that's more disappointed than angry, you know, and that carries its own mm. <laughs> effect. Like I was just watching, watching Question Time this week, and he he gave Simeon Brown a telling off, and I mean, you know, I mean, I don't want to overcook the. <laughs> The school analogy, but Simeon looked very much like, like very, 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 very contrite, and like he didn't want to get his attention from, from, from Mr. Rudolph. Rather than I feel as though he might have been a bit more bullish in the face of a mallard. So Rudolph has a couple of things in his favour. The first is that yeah, he does have much more sort of this air of kind of dignity around him mm. and the office. Uh, we probably haven't seen that since Lockwood Smith, I'd say, uh, and. The other thing is that he's actually, you know, a lot of a lot of people have said sort of Adrian who, and Adrian Rudolfi is this guy who, for the last few elections, everyone kind of picks him to be knocked off by whoever the Maori mm. Party candidate is in Te Tai because he is he's very low profile. Very he's, low profile. He's, he's not yeah. a well known guy. Will he's he go list well now? Content. Will he go list? I, That's you, norm norm for speakers now, isn't it? Yeah, I, well, I think he would. But the other, the, I don't think that necessarily means giving giving the seat to the Maori Party. I wouldn't think that Labour would want that at all. Well, it makes it uh, a much more interesting it will, yeah. situation, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, it does, but again, you know, that seat has been seen as a weak link for Labour for a long time, but Adrian Rudafe always brings it home. And he, you know... And, and, yeah, but, but I think Deb is a, a, is a, a contender like they haven't had before, and unlike... Mm. Adrian, she's had a very high profile over That's this true. term. That's true. That's Debbie Nadi So, I think, yeah, so I think she has a very, very strong chance. I mean, she came pretty close last time. Yeah, that's true. So I think I think she has a, 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 a if Adrian's to stand down, I imagine e- even if I mean, who knows who Labour will get, but I think she would have a very, very good chance of, mm. of taking it home this time, in my opinion. But I, I just to return to Rudafe, I think one, I think that sort of almost anonymity really actually helps him a lot in the speaker role mm. uh, and, you know, as deputy speaker before, yeah. because Mallard, I mean, look, he came in with the best of intentions as speaker. Yeah. But the thing is, he had, you know... Ha, de- you know, three three decades yeah. of animus, yes, that's and right. Rivalries yeah. and grudges, that's right. and it goes both ways. Side. You're right. Yeah. It's often often said that he sort of had his favourites and all that sort of stuff, but it is much the other way that when people stood up and were being, you know, cautioned by him, there was a real a real enmity there too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and that does make it harder to maintain order. It does make it harder to sort of say that you're calling it straight down the line. Yeah. Um, you know, David Carter had the same sort of issue. Lockwood Smith definitely had the same issue when he came in, but he he just sort of brought such a sort of independence to the role. But he was still criticised, whereas Rudafe, because he, you know, I mean, a lot of national MPs may not have known he existed until he became Deputy Speaker <laughs> at the beginning of this term. Mm. Um, and... He, you know, and and so he's been able to sort of really style himself as as an independent, fair speaker mm. of the house. Mm. Um, and by all reports, he's 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 you know very popular. 
mm. uh, across the House uh, and very respected for the job that he's done so far. Um, and I think that that will definitely help Labor. They want to take the temperature out of all of these parliamentary confrontations. Uh, it doesn't help them when, you know, ministers end up sort of, you know, hurling abuse and there's sort of disorder in the House. Um, they, they want to keep it as calm as possible. I think too probably endeared himself to the opposition when, you know, one of the first statements he made was that, you know, he wants to change question time so it doesn't just become an opportunity for the government to grandstand and make long yeah. speeches about how wonderful they are, which is fair criticism. Speaking of uh, parliamentary theatre, the Freedom and Rights Coalition... Uh, mounted their, I can't even remember what they were calling it now, but it was, you know, throw the government out, something or other, slogan, last Wednesday, was it? Um, I was in Wellington and sort of watched some of it, and it never quite reached, well, it didn't really come close mm. to reaching the heights of some of the previous actions. Um, it was it was one of those situations where it felt to me, whereas people had under <laughs> underestimated the potential previously, they'd probably <laughs> overestimated, and understandably so, because there was a 23-day occupation of the grounds of Parliament, and so it was almost inevitable that it kind of fell slightly short of, of what some of the predictions had been. It did have that kind of performative uh, court on the steps of Parliament, which stopped short of doing a sentencing, and um, while that may that sort of theatre has been seen on the steps of parliament at many a protest before the difference I guess with this one is slightly that it's playing into the narratives around the Nuremberg 2.0 stuff so Ooh. even if they didn't necessarily talk about hangings or decapitations it's definitely feeding into some of the more fringe horrible stuff out there including the sovereign citizen movement but as far as the politics of it were concerned Tamaki, Brian Tamaki of Destiny's Church, the founder of the Freedom and Rights Coalition, used the occasion very much to announce his new Freedoms NZ party, which he said would have four component parts, um, including Hannah Tamaki, his wife's vision NZ, and well, the, good, good get the, for the bishop. <laughs> mm, yeah. The, the, is it called the good, good, good to snare a secular party like Vision NZ the new <laughs> from the long, last election? Long negotiations, no doubt, to achieve that. The New Nation Party, where there's already been some, they've already been issuing various messages to their support base who are complaining about them getting into bed with Bishop. Tamaki, yeah. and so, and then the Outdoors Party. Although the, within a few hours, Sue Gray of the Outdoors Party, who had recently been visiting Nuremberg, issued a posting saying actually they hadn't agreed to take part yet mm. at all. Is that also going to be a fizzer? How much of a real thing when we add the numbers together? And if we did look at Todanga and about in the by-election, there, you know, you you stitch the numbers together, and it's possible that this umbrella. Umbrella Party, which is using mm. the kind of alliance template from back in the day. Does it stand a chance now, or has the year gone out of this one? No, I think that the year's gone out of it. And, and that's the thing, you'd have to stitch them together, and I think that's impossible. I mean, every year, every election, Brian launches a new party, and it's always a fizzer. And actually, the the support for Destiny's Church is declining um, anyway, so I think you know it's definitely worth keeping an eye on and being aware of all of these sort of fringe, freaky groups. But I don't think they have a. Uh, uh, you know, if the election was held 
this time last year or then possibly, but I, I think it's a, a, a movement who is, um, whose time has passed, as in, my, elect- in my view. As an electoral force. I mean, it can still have an impact, clearly, <laughs> without, as you say, without necessarily finding a seat in Parliament. Would you go mm. along with that, Ben? Yeah, I, look, I, I'm... I'm a sceptic. I'm, I'm a pessimist. If you're a conspiracy theorist who wants to get into Parliament, I'm, a pe- I'm pessimistic about your chances. Um, I'm an optimist for the common sense of the electorate. Um, there just there isn't a constituency. We had Billy TK and Jamie Lee Ross at the last election. Mm. Uh, that was coming out of, of, of lockdowns in Auckland. Um, I, the vaccine mandates really did ratchet up some of the, the the support, both you know in terms of the depth of feeling from certain quarters um, and from wider parts of the electorate. We could be going in a green very soon. You know, I I, we, I, I literally went to the woke cafe uh, a day or two ago, and I was the only person wearing a mask. And then so I took it off because I felt embarrassed and peer pressured. Um, and you know, I mean, I think the. That moment has sort of has sort of passed. You, know. I, you remind me. I was, I was. I've been popping in and out of the um, donations case at the High Court in Auckland oh, yeah, yeah. lately, uh, which includes <coughs> relates to donations to both National and Labour parties. And one of the people involved, uh, there had been an adjournment uh, because someone who was ill, yes, which seems to happen all yeah. the time. There was a power cut at one point, but I think it was an adjournment because someone was ill. And anyway, I was standing downstairs. And a figure, uh, figure walked up towards me almost indetectably and said, I read your article. <laughs> and I looked around. It was Jamie Lee Ross, <laughs> um, who, I've, who you chat to. But, um, How's he doing? This? How's and, the supplements business? Uh, and and he, said, he, said, he said, I read your article. And he said, there's no way they'll do it. There's no way. And he was talking about an article I'd written about the attempts to try and form this party. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he, you know, he can speak from experience, right? Yes. He said, look, yeah. they just, they just, and he's right. Um, and we, a lot of us say it, but he's seen it, he's seen it really close up that for all, for all the, all the protestations that they will work together in a collected cause, they can't. Mm. They can't. It's, they're not, it's just not going to work as a political party. And when you, when you extract that kind of venom of the immediacy of the, 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 the mandates and my enemy's enemy is my friend, it's, it's not going to happen. But I just want to stress on that because I think it's really important that just because one says that it's highly unlikely that it can, can uh, have an impact within Parliament in terms of taking seats doesn't mean it can't have an impact on our politics and on the totally. campaign, as yeah. we're seeing to a great extent of the local elections, yeah. and that it can be a genuinely Especially too poisonous when you impact. see like some opposition MPs starting to repeat the rhetoric or some of right. the conspiracy theories like, you know, the replacement theory and those sorts of things. It is, You're just talking it, about Simon O'Connor. You got me. You got me. Oh my god. You got me. Let's, let's you got some, me. some opposition MPs plural. It's just Simon O'Connor. Like, um, yeah, but, they, but they, you know those those ideas. You're right. They they're making our way into the, our parliament, and they're being you know normalised. I guess to a certain degree. So I I, I tend to I tend to disagree with that. I think I think of that's right. You so do. Simon Simon O'Connor. <laughs> yeah, does. I mean, he said some weird things in the, some of those speeches. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think you know some of those other MPs you know that who who are now out of Parliament. Matt King was an obvious example. Mm-hmm. You know, spent way too much time down the rabbit hole. Eh? And 
I, I don't detect much, you know, particularly, you know, Christopher Luxon. I, th- I think it was a more fertile ground when Judith Collins was the leader. Um, she did sort of... Uh, Simon she, she O'Connor was, like, was saying this stuff, like, last week. You know, I, I know. Simon O'Connor, just, yeah, it's a bad scene. Um, but... <laughs> You know, I, th- I think in terms of you know the the, the parties themselves, uh, you know, I think some people, for instance, thought ACT would be you know, a sort of conduit for that kind of thing, and they have they sort of you know they stay very staunchly sort of away from it. And yeah, I, 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 I there, there is a question, you know, about that that wider sort of thing about you know there, there definitely is more more of the sort of rhetoric that you heard in sort of two thousand leading up to two thousand and eight about sort of, um, what do they call it, you know, Helen grad, you know, where the rhetoric does, the rhetoric is getting more charged from yeah. sort of non, what you would regard as the non-extremist part of the electorate, <coughs> but probably still, you know, the people who are further the to the The difference right. this time, though, is that it is tethered to a really, really appalling global movement, mm. which is linked, I'm not saying yeah. at one remove, is linked to the sorts of things that we saw at the Capitol on January 6th, you know? And mm. so I do think that it takes on an extra... I think you're right in terms of the, that's what happens to some of the rhetoric, but I think it takes on an extra kind of poisonous, dangerous element when it's linked to people who are genuinely promoting insurrection. Yeah, look, I, I don't think... We sh- certainly shouldn't be ignoring, the, you know, those really fringe, you know, sort of QAnon-y sort of conspiracy types um, because yeah that's right they don't have to get five percent to be a clear and present danger you know it only takes one one crazy person for something terrible to happen okay. right and you know I, I would hope that the security services are take you know are taking a keen interest in them um, you know fortunately they seem to do it all out in the open on telegram but you know I just got a message that that, that um, case and um, uh, the high court has has been adjourned until Monday for closing all defendants not elected not to give evidence so there we go that's quite interesting um, what does that mean who knows uh, anybody got any chocolate endorsements I want to endorse policy.nz which has uh, just launched again fourth iteration of Policy um, is it fourth? 2017 oh. was in the first oh, general election, right, so right, it's the yeah. it's the second local election. But tremendously useful. Policy.nz. You can click through to on the spin-off. Real kind of muddle blur of local elections, uh, which I won't get into now. Um, but it's a very welcome. Uh, torch beam through that. Any endorsements from you, Annabelle? Yeah, I want to endorse Marama Davidson okay. and thank her and her whanau who have made um, an intergenerational commitment to revitalising Te Reo Māori and using their um, using their influence to always promote our language. So it's really disappointing to see what's happened to you this week, especially when I reflect on the number of ministers who openly endorse All Blacks, the Prime Minister talking about her favourite cafes and Point Chev and other things, and I just... It's difficult to understand why this has happened. Once again, Marama <laughs> Davidson gets in trouble with a C word. Ben, an endorsement from you? Uh, uh, I, uh, Fanta? No, it's Ghosts. terrible. Is <laughs> um, your craft beer? No, New Zealand's leading craft beer. I don't know. I was trying to oh, think of, what was... about Paddles the Cat? No, Mittens the Cat. Uh, not pa- Paddles the Paddles is the unfortunate ROP. Mittens the Cat, there's a statue. <laughs> 
No, but it's not. It's not actually going to be made. Is it? It's like so, some some Wellington, the Wellington equivalent of concrete playground or whatever, is like. Um, it has asked if somebody would fund a statue of a cat, and now, of course, no one's going to do this that. Is, did you? Did you? You read Except about you maybe read the, the story about the council? Yeah, because uh, you're, a, you're a mittens man. You're Mister Mittens, and endorsing endorsement of mittens. One thing, no one thing, that, no one thing that people get wrong tops. is that I do not hate mittens, the cat who lived in Wellington and drank from people's like fucking is this latte a council bowls. Cat? He was the mayor. He was elected mayor, yeah, and um, and then like the city council. You know, tweeted out, "Oh, the keys to the city for middens," and then you know, it's like they—it's just. So to be clear, your loathing of middens is that it personifies Wellington. No, no, there's nothing wrong with middens. I wish no harm on the dumb cat. Okay, like the problem is a city that is trying to sort of that that wants to create a sense of identity about the fact that a dude with a cat moved there once before he moved out of the city again. It's like you know, it's like Openoni. You know, it's like great city. You know, greatest city in the world. You know, like oh, little 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 carving of this this cat that mysteriously appears and played with local children and then one day it was gone. It's like, it's not a sign, it's not a portent, it's not a tohu or a prodigy. <laughs> it's a fucking cat. Of course it's coming around to lick milk out of the fucking latte bowls if you let it onto the table. It there's, might a, be a there's nothing special about this. Like, the, fucking, the pigeons pull coming the from pigeon cat. Pull the cord to our head. Kia ora e te iwi, te aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.